Homestyle Green, episode 151. Passive House isn't just coming to the Southern Hemisphere, it's already here, and it works. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Now, Bronwyn Barry is someone who helps lots of people uh, make better places to live and inspires even more. She is from One Sky Homes and she's a passive house designer uh, in California, but she travels around the world talking about how passive house works and particularly in her recent trip to New Zealand and Australia was focusing on how passive house works in warm and also humid climates. And that was a big theme of the recent South Pacific Passive House Conference in Melbourne and it was uh, fantastic to be able to get along to that Thanks in part to the wonderful sponsor of the show, ProClimber, and I'm very grateful for their ongoing support. And uh, I highly recommend getting in touch with them if you are at all interested in building a house that is going to be warm and comfortable. And to be honest, why would you not be interested in that? They have a great range of products, um, high quality products, but also fantastic customer service. So definitely well worth checking them out. Proclimber.com.au in Australia or proclimber.co.nz here in New Zealand. If you're anywhere else in the world, just proclimber.com will get you all the information you need to know. All right, let's get stuck into this week's interview, which is a roundup of the South Pacific Passive House Conference in Melbourne with Bronwyn Barry. All right, so Bronwyn, by way of introduction, you just mentioned before that you've been busy with your roles uh, at Passive House California and also the Passive House uh, Network. What, what is the official title of the network? It's the North American Passive House Network. Right. So, that's so it's, those two yeah, volunteer it's... roles plus your uh, a director and a, and a designer at um, One Sky Homes. And yep. you've got a whole bunch of other stuff going on as well. As well, uh, I do actually. Uh, yeah. So I it's jumped uh, in deep. <laughs> yeah. It, well, we will. Um, we we maybe touch on some of that, but basically, uh, the point of that is you're you can call yourself an international keynote speaker now on the topic of of passive house. You're definitely a global expert in the field. So it's fantastic to have spent some time with you recently and, and to have you on uh, the Homestyle Green show. So thank you very much for giving me more time now to come back and, and talk about that. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk with you and especially after having spent a bit more time with you. It's great. Yes. Yeah, no, so we first met um, over a year ago when you came down here for the inaugural Passive House Conference in Auckland. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me in the 12 months that between those two events from Auckland last year and, and Melbourne most recently was the number of people. Uh, it just seems to be a the, the beginning of a snowball, hopefully, but certainly uh, – quite a large increase in the interest and also the type of people that were at uh, the conference in Melbourne. Was that something that you noticed? Absolutely, yeah. It was really uh, impressive to see um, the gain in momentum from, you know, a relatively small kind of core group mm. in Auckland um, last year to to this, you know, it literally doubled, I would say, at least, and then probably a bit more than that um, from last year to this year, which is which is fantastic. And I, uh, 
you know, I'm avidly watching the the evolution of passive house in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. Being being a a southie originally myself, um, but just from the other south, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. South Af- South Africa, and uh, I um, I've actually it's really quite exciting because I've you know met both in Melbourne and in New Zealand, lots of South Africans. And I'm really hoping to also see if I can kind of connect back um, and sort of bring the South African co- contingent into this this Southern Hemisphere cohort. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah. That's quite, a, quite exciting for me personally. So despite your accent, you're living in California. We have lived in California for quite some time. And there are some... Lots of similarities, in fact, in that area, which you described in your keynote in Melbourne, mm-hmm. both regards to the climate, but also the issues around housing affordability, because that's something that is talked about a lot here yeah. in Auckland. And obviously, mm-hmm. you've got some of the, the most expensive real estate probably in the world uh, in, in certain pockets of, of California. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the growth that was apparent in, in, in interest, is that something that you're seeing around the world, the interest in, in passive house, what, what can you comment about the, the, the growth that you're seeing in, in passive house? Sure. Um, it's really, I think people are, it's, it, it is a global phenomenon and, you know, I've watched this, you know, I've been involved in passive house for the last eight and a half going on nine years now and really, um, you know, was kind of here at the beginning of the North American kind of growth spurt in in Passive House and then, you know, have watched as it's really mushrooming in other places around the world. And I think it's really a function of, um, you know, people are realizing that our buildings are not only key, you know, energy hogs and and you know, so we, we're having to look at them from a function of the climate change um, crisis that we're all collectively facing. Yep. But I think, you know, this really stood out for me with the expert tour, um, the connections being made between health mm. and our buildings. And it's really becoming over the last two years, those making those connections between our indoor air quality and the buildings that we live in you know where we we literally all spend the you know lots of studies have shown at least 90 percent of our lives actually indoors um even in climates such as california where everybody has this idea that we we live these very indoor outdoor lifestyles yeah um, you know, the reality I, is... I actually... quoted you on that. In fact, uh, the, I think you mentioned a study where um, the, it basically summarised that indoor-outdoor flow is a myth because a lot of people design these open vistas that you can throw open the doors, but mm-hmm. 90% of the time they, they stay closed. Yes, and that's a, an LBNL study actually on how often people actually do open their windows um and it's really not that often Mm. um and it's it's also a sort of a culturally driven phenomenon is what i've seen um and in fact i've i've sort of talked about this um with a lot of germans who you know anecdotally and i don't have real data to um 
corroborate this, but Germans actually do have this cultural habit of opening their windows for ventilation and doing this air flushing. Um, you know, and you if you speak to Germans, they'll tell you about, you know, their moms actually doing this as a routine, yeah. uh, kind of almost like a housekeeping thing, you know, opening their windows to do this air flushing and then shutting them back again. And, <laughs> you know, as I say, it's a con that's a very cultural condition thing. And I know we didn't do that in South Africa and we certainly don't do it in California. So um, Roger Joyner made that point uh, following your presentation in Melbourne. Mm. He he talked about a generation prior and he was talking about Australia and in, 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 he was from Western Australia in Perth. Um, but there used to be, we used to manage our households. He, said, yeah. he talked about the, the fact there's always someone home, um, typically the wife <laughs> in those days. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, but they would manage the home and part of that would be ventilating and cleaning and, and you know, doing things to, to flush it out. Whereas now, yeah. two professionals go off to work, whole house is shut up for the whole day, yep. eight hours, sun beating down on it. And then, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the things don't get open and, and we wonder why we have issues. So I, it, yeah. it sounds like it's not just a German issue. <laughs> no, I, I've seen it around the world and we've, we've literally, um, you know, we, we have this fantasy in California too that people do keep their windows open, but we've we we know that our clients can't be relied on to do that. Even mm. you know, even the most well-intentioned, actively involved and engaged client. So we very purposely make sure that our houses are mechanically ventilated, and we don't. You know, in, in passive house, you can actually do the calculations for natural ventilation and allow for summer cooling through windows and, and openings of doors and mm -hmm. windows. But we just know not to rely on that. And the, the actual energy used by the mechanical ventilation systems in Passive House use so little energy, so, you know, so few watts of energy that it's just easy to just keep them on. And, Do you think you know, it's... As well as the energy use, do you think that there's a philosophical problem that a lot of people have if they haven't explored Passive House much to have to rely on this thing that's mechanical? It just it doesn't sound very natural, you know. It doesn't sound very yes. um, eco, if you like, to have have this mechanical machine that yep. they have to rely on for their house to, to ventilate. Is that is that an objection that you come across? all over the world and you know this tour around New Zealand just you know it, it I see this everywhere and I've you know traveled fairly extensively you know through the UK and visiting all the passive house communities there um the, you know European I've you know visited lots of passive houses all around Europe and this is a very common um fear and and a misconception about mm. passive house this whole air tightness and the reliance on the mechanical ventilation and um you know i remember you noted the you know at the one event that we we spoke at um the audience question was why i i, I don't believe in this you know i'm scared or i don't really understand or support this idea of building an airtight building yeah. because yeah. because my walls need to breathe yes oh, the breathing walls Yes. And, you know, so 
it's it's very common the world over everybody yeah. has that that same fear and and misperception that passive house will prevent your building from breathing yep um because it's actually quite the opposite and the 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 analogy or the the that i use to help clarify that that seemed to be the most you know i've tried so many different ways to try and clarify that and it's always it's always a challenging concept to to convey but if you um if you bring it back to this the human body and make the make the comparison um our skins are essentially our wall and you know our exterior um um this is how exterior exactly thank you i think that wraps around the whole body absolutely and the analysis the the similarity is quite good because our bones are like the structure Mm. and our skin is and our our fatty our fatty skin layer is our insulation and our exterior um i'm pretty pretty well insulated (laughs) i've got a high r value that's good. <laughs> I've got a fairly good one myself. <laughs> yeah. But our skins don't breathe per se, but they transpire. So they they do allow moisture to go through them um, because we, we perspire mm-hmm. both to regulate our body temperature and to also sort of get rid of excess moisture to some degree. Mm. I'm, I'm sure some doctors might might take issue with that <laughs> that statement but our, our skins transpire and our lungs respire so yeah. you know the respiration and the breathing happens through our lungs and in our buildings our walls still need to transpire so they still need to allow that moisture to kind of permeate and go through them mm-hmm. um but our mechanical system and our windows, our ventilation system is how they need to breathe and provide oxygen for the occupants. Because our, uh, our skin is also waterproof. So it's keeping the water out. Exactly. Which our walls and, are doing. Yep. Uh, and it's also airtight. And airtight. which So that's an interesting point because this confused me uh, for a while, even working in, in building science, how yep. something can be airtight but vapor permeable. Exactly. Uh, and someone described to me as as water vapor molecules. Yep. Um, I don't know if it, in physical terms, but at least in in um, energy terms, they're smaller. As in, they they fit through things that that an air molecule may not. I don't know if that's completely scientifically true, but but conceptually, that's what um, helps me understand the fact that. Um, yeah, you want to keep the air out or, yep. or in, um, but you want to let water vapor uh, move through in a controlled way in the in the e- correct direction. Exactly. So if you really think about our buildings being like the Gore-Tex jacket, mm. that also it's a wind-tight jacket, it's a windbreaker, but you can still perspire and it doesn't trap in your perspiration inside the jacket to make you clammy and and uncomfortable inside. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the other analogy that also seems to work and help people kind of get their heads around that idea. Yeah, which our skin does a beautiful job of. And it's, back yes. to that point about ventilation, our our bodies breathe 
but mm-hmm. they only do it through very the lungs. Sp- specific <laughs> holes exactly. a- and through a specific system, yeah, through the lungs and, and the um, the respiratory the system. And, the nose. Yep. and we don't want our windows and doors, uh, or we don't want our walls to be part of that respiratory system because we want them to be tight. We can have our windows and doors to be part of that if they're designed to be that way. But like you say, 90% of the time they're closed. So they're prob- that would be like holding your breath for 90% of the day. <laughs> it's probably exactly. not going to work. Exactly. So you want something that's going to continually respire, yep. uh, respirate as opposed to transpire, um, hence the ventilation system. Exactly. Yep. And really what I noted, what was so apparent, um, New Zealand has such hum- you know, high humidity because it's an island mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> um, and the moisture issues in your buildings were, were very, um, you know, rather extreme, um, much more so than what we have in California. Yeah. Um, our, we have a cold ocean here. We have a more Mediterranean climate. So, um, you know, winter rainfall, we get all our, our rain primarily in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um and we don't have the same humidity level. So, our, our, you know, we still have to deal with the in, indoor moisture issues, though, because we, we all generate a lot more moisture than what we realize inside our buildings. Yeah. yeah. Through, both, you know, just through humans actually, um, you know, release quite a lot of moisture into the air. Um, so the more occupants you have, the the more humid and moist it will be inside your your building. Yep. But then cooking and showering um, also generates a lot of moisture, and that has to go somewhere. Mm. And if mm. we're not allowing it to um, escape or or mechanically extracting it, then we we may be causing a a, a fairly, you know. Uh, Dangerous. I mean, literally, from the the other presenter that we had on that on the um, the expert tour, um, Dr. Phipps in in uh, in Auckland, and then um, Dr. Um, J- Julian Crane. Julian Crane, yeah. Um, really, they they their presentations were very um, illuminating and quite shocking in terms of the. The mold and the moisture buildup issues that New Zealand homes particularly have very high incidences of, and you know, leading to um, very challenging respiratory um, illnesses. And you know, they, Dr. Crane made it clear that they haven't linked asthma, the high rates of asthma in New Zealand, directly to mold and mildew. But they have shown that those high incidences of mold and mildew in in buildings actually does have um, does impact um, respiratory health. Um, and you, you know, it's pretty. It seems pretty easy to connect those two if you've got those conditions in a house. You you fairly will. You know, you could make a pretty strong connection with yeah. having. Having, it seems like it certainly aggravates, even if it doesn't cause it uh, entirely. It certainly aggravates it, and and there's a big correlation there with whether or not there's a causation is that to be um, completely undeniably proven. Exactly. 
Um, no, we've seen you... that here in California too. You know, I, really? Uh, yes. Um, so this is I... something interesting because I think a lot of people here assume that yeah, it's just it's idyllic where you are, <laughs> and, <there's lots> of, <laughs> and everyone's healthy. Well, you know, this is this this is again our, our sort of disconnect with our, our sort of fantasy idea of how we live and the reality of how we live. And yeah. California has the same issues as as you know, in terms of being a relatively warm climate, people kind of don't see, you know, they don't have this immediate idea that we need to build houses that are insulated or mm. ventil or ventilated because mm. The perception is, well, we've got a really benign climate. Yep. But, but the same, we have exactly the same realities here where, and we've, we've seen it with our clients at One Sky Homes. Um, we go into these houses and the our, our homeowners tell us that, well, they can't, you know, their kids can't stay in their bedrooms in the winter because they get below freezing. And in the summer, they're so hot that they also are, not you know you you just can't sleep in them they're too yeah. hot so you know we we but on average it's benign <laughs> you know and that's again you know i think it's the sort of the movie mythology that you know it's all lovely and wonderful in california yeah. and generally it's a lovely place to live it's much yeah. warmer than than you know saskatoon in the winter for sure <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i just want i want to come back to the the point about the ventilation though because a lot of people, I mean, people are very aware about moisture and mold and, and I think starting to become more and more aware of, well, this probably isn't very healthy. But then get very confused when we advocates of things like passive house and high performance are saying, well, part of the solution is to actually make your, air, your house more airtight. And people are quite rightly confused saying, well, hang on, don't I need to, if I've got these moisture issues surely i need to ventilate the house why are you telling me to make it more airtight how do we bridge that gap well it's all about management you can't actually manage the ventilation if you haven't controlled the vault the space that you're actually ventilating because if you have a very leaky um building envelope you can't control where the air comes from mm -hmm. and where the air goes to. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, if you are trying to blow up a balloon with holes in it, mm -hmm. you'll never blow it up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just creating a good balloon so that you actually can then add fresh air and extract stale air and you can control how you do that really well. Yeah. So that's really, um, you know, it's the you're controlling your envelope so that you can actually control the ventilation both for, you know, where the air comes from and where it goes to. And so the thinking of the house as a system, as a complete system, is what is required. It's not enough to do one without the other. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because you can, you can create problems by cr making your hair, your building airtight. Yeah. But if you don't then actually provide the ventilation system, you, you know, you're sort of leaving it up to, you know, random kind of, you, you, 
you're not controlling where your air source will actually come from. And it mm. might come from places that you really don't want it to come from, like like a hole between the garage and the house. So you'll be bringing in all your car exhaust air or the fumes off that can of paint or the, you know, lacquer thinners that you'd mm. left stored under the uh, in the cupboard there it might be a gap between the cupboard and the and the living room somehow or other and you're getting you're getting all that toxic air from from places that you really don't want it um, and but, by ventilation system you're talking about balanced uh, heat recovery ventilation systems here aren't you not the absolutely. standard New Zealand sucking air from the roof cavity type system <laughs> the balanced ones are absolutely the the preferred system mm. um, and again it's um, but having said that in our sort of relatively um, mild climates there is the possibility and it's something that really still is being explored um, you can do um, you can potentially do ventilation balanced ventilation so the same amount of extract as um, intake air mm -hmm. um, with potentially without the heat recovery component. Um, and that was the one project I, I, I've been trying that. I tried that on that yoga studio that yeah. I designed and yeah. it works really well for that particular building because it's one big open space um, and the air can mix and you can also do the intake really high where it's not coming, you know, you in the winter or, you know, those yoga students come in at like five in the morning where it's quite chilly outside still. Yep. And the intake air is coming directly from outside um, and it's cold, but because it's coming in really high at the top of the gable, it's allowed to mix with the interior air a little bit. Yeah. And it's not, you know, nobody's sitting directly under there and getting cold air blown directly onto them. So um, it's very project and building specific. Um, but generally, the heat recovery is a much more efficient ventilation system. Yeah. And, and well worth it for the comfort factor um, and the... You know, the cost of it, the initial outlay cost, you know, the systems that are, are applicable for Passive House mm. usually do cost a little bit more. Um, but everybody I've spoken to and all our clients that have them um, really love them mm. Mm. because the other aspect of those systems is they allow for filtration. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the, the important part of that is the filtration is actually cleaning the air that you're breathing as opposed to the f filtering the, the intake air because filtration comes up a lot with the typical systems that we have that I mentioned that, that are drawing air from the roof mm -hmm. and quite a lot's made of those filters. But that needs to be filtered because you're drawing air from something that's not fresh. It's a, it's a dirty, dusty, kind of manky place to, to be drawing air from. So that filtration I see as being different from air that's being circulated through a balance system and being cleaned and improved all the time. It's not just being cleaned out of necessity because you happen to be 
having your air intake in somewhere that's kind of dirty? Well, you know what's kind of interesting about that is even the air that comes directly from like a nice fresh outside air vent where yeah. you'd say it's just fresh outside air, yeah. you'd be astounded to see what comes off those filters even mm. though it's coming from a source that looks really fresh. And, yeah. you know, you're, um, my, the, the gentleman who picked me up from the airport, his name's John Davies, he, you know, he's there from all, you know, he's from your neck of the woods in Auckland. Yes. And he lives right near the beach and has one of these filtration systems. And he was telling me how, you know, his air comes directly like off the ocean. He's, you know, he's a five minute walk from the beach. It's probably some of the cleanest air in New Zealand. And, you know, he cleans his filters regularly and he's still shocked at what actually comes, you know, what the filter looks like when yeah. he change, changes yeah, it. So, yeah. so um, mm. you know, we, um, it's sort of, you know, you can't see most of the particulates that is in the air that we breathe. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you put it through a filtration system and then it's all collects over, over a three months period, you, you'll be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so stepping back, the conference in general, um, I took away heaps of notes. Um, what were, if you had to sort of narrow it down to top three learnings mm -hmm. for you, what were the big outtakes from the uh, Passive House Conference in Melbourne? So Melbourne, I really felt um, I was very impressed with the – the products that are already available mm. on the Australian market. Yep. So I think you got and and the other thing I really noticed in the Australian market versus the New Zealand market is the Australian designers are very um, well versed in exterior shading. Yes. And I think that is beautiful. Yep. I was so impressed. Architects there have already, and just even in the older buildings, I see a, 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 the vernacular buildings are, are very well shaded yeah. with, with exterior shading. And yep. it's definitely part of the architectural um, skill set, which will mean that Australian Passive House will have no problem with overheating and, in fact, Absorbing the passive house principles should be a piece of cake for them. Yeah. Um, they've got a lot of the fundamentals already under control. And this is a big difference um, that I see between Australia and California because exterior, yeah, and, and the same with the new, it, it was fascinating for me to notice that New Zealand has the same problem as I have in California where. Yeah. Exterior shading is not part of the architectural um, habit. Um, it's not part of the the palette of of, of um, passive design um, principles that architects already use. Yeah, and it's it's been a big challenge because clients also are. It's it's kind of one of those things where you tell them. No, 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 you've got to put shades on the exterior. And they look at you and they say, Well, my neighbors don't have that. Like, I'm, I, I don't, you know, it's like, I'm not sure I want that. Yeah. Yeah. So Your neighbors also have a very uncomfortable house in summertime. <laughs> exactly. So, Melbourne and 
the other part I was up in Brisbane and Queen, uh, the the Sunshine Coast before the conference, mm-hmm. and I saw this everywhere. Um, mm. Australia has exterior shading well nailed, and I'm I was super pleased to see that. Um, so that was the other the other um, observation. And, and, I, I, and I think that's just pausing on that and bring back to Passive House for a moment. That is relevant to Passive House. A lot of people th- just have these images of a, uh, a house that's amazingly comfortable without a heater on and it's piled with snow on the outside and that's kind of the typical vision of, of a Passive House. But Australia's starting to change that and show examples of the relevance of Passive House in a warm and humid climate. Yes. And it's it's aspects like that that are going to make that work, isn't it? Because it's going to be it's going to be about keeping that uh, internal temperature very very comfortable without without an air conditioner. Basically. Exactly, and you're only going yeah. to do that with with having features like um, good shading. Absolutely, and glazing. I mean, glazing was talked about a lot in the yep. conference, and the fact that there's more and more. Um, specialization now available for all these different we won't get into all the numbers but it's not just um, how many bits of glass you've got it's it's about all these other characteristics like how much sun is allowed in uh, yeah. which particular um, wavelengths of that sun and you can get amazingly specific now on the type of glass that you're putting on uh, in the house in the envelope yeah. for the particular climate that you're in and that came across quite a lot yes and i think um you know you you you've nailed it in terms of for warm climates passive house is all about shading and i see that's really what we found over and over again if you don't get the shading right you have an you're going to have an overheating problem Mm. and even in the european colder climates that's what they found once they once they have this building envelope so well insulated, really um, thermally controlled and airtight, if you're not managing the heat gain, yeah. you you you're potentially creating a comfort problem by actually making it too warm. Yeah. And yeah. you know, in our sunny climates, we have that we have that in spades. It's definitely it's you know, in Australia, um, particularly with our global warming challenges, their temperatures are rising mm. just ridiculously yeah. high and yeah. to where it's it's not a heating problem that, that they have, it's a cooling problem. Yeah. And you know, California has similar we've had we've had we get heat storms here and our, our buildings are, are getting unbelievably uncomfortable because mm. they're too too hot to be in. But I guess the the outtake is that it is possible to design a house to keep it cool without yeah. needing a massive air conditioner by exactly. using passive house. Absolutely, and we've seen that over and over again here. Um, there's a house in Santa Cruz that was retrofitted to passive house. It has no air conditioning, um, and it stays wonderfully comfortable mm. and cool cool with these passive technologies and we we don't need air conditioning um we need shading we could do a whole nother episode on uh retrofit passive houses <laughs> we um, could. was it what was the is there a final outtake from the conference that you had um really i was just impressed with the skill level and the expertise that is already on the ground yeah and i think that gives me it just made me really um 
happy and, and very optimistic for the uptake of, of passive house in warm climates. Yep. Um, it's just as applicable, in fact, just as, you know, even more so to some degree because um, air conditioning loads are are going to really um, challenge our um, our utilities in, mm. in, in many parts of the world. Um, so um, it's, a, it's a really good for grid, stab, grid stabilization. Um, and utility companies, you know, once they get their head around their, you know, where the market is moving and how buildings have to transform, I think they, they will start to see the real um, the benefits of these of exterior shading and yeah. as I say Australia has that already nailed and mm. it's part of the architectural um, habit and and um, vernacular you know um, tradition so mm. I, I was mm. very I was very impressed with that one of the other th- just before we finish up one of the other things that I took particularly from your presentation was the fact that PHPP the software that people can use to design or, or use a consultant to design a house yeah is amazingly accurate and if yes. there's any doubt in the outcome of a design then that was one of my big recommendations that I um, kind of crystallized through that uh, conference mm-hmm. was that really you should invest in a, in getting a, a passive house designer early on to put mm-hmm. the pan, plans through. Even if you're not using passive house architect, mm-hmm. um, you could get a consultant, get a, a designer that knows how to use the software, um, mm-hmm. chuck it through there. It's probably going to cost a couple of thousand dollars, but it could save you a whole heating system or a whole air conditioner it could be well worth it and you'll know based on your research yeah how that house is going to perform and and so so confidently now that you're even guaranteeing that which i just find amazing that that uh, i was explaining the um the magnitude of that you you sort of um i think you understated just how big of a, a a commitment in and how confident that means you are in the the software and your design ability as well <laughs> to yeah. be able to put that out there to say we are so confident in how your house is going to perform in terms of its temperature um humidity its energy use that yeah. we're guaranteeing it absolutely no and i think this is huge and it is something completely unheard of in the market and mm. i was I was quite, um, it, you know, and it has been really transformative for our company, our company too, because I'm sure, you know, once you sort of get your head around that and you realize, like, wow, you know, like every time a coconut, you know, you 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 know exactly what you're going to get out yeah. of this. Yeah, it it gives you some, you know, it gives you that confidence that you you're not just reinventing the wheel every time, and it's you you're kind of there's there's some reliability to it, and mm, and mm. and real. It's an it's an insurance. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and yeah, it took us a while to really get to that point, and and what really did it for us was the monitoring. Um, yeah. And I I highly recommend to to all architects and builders to monitor their projects, um, because that's really been the key. Um, in giving us that confidence to say, absolutely, we will guarantee the performance 
and the comfort of our buildings. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we are also able to then, it, you know, and somebody actually, um, they came to me afterwards and said, well, oh, Bronwyn, aren't you really worried that, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> what somebody, if it doesn't work? Exactly. And I said, no, absolutely not because um, by, by monitoring, um, we it's full transparency both for yeah. us and for the client. And if anything is wrong, we can fix it. Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, it's like driving a car and not knowing what the, what the fuel consumption is yep. Yep. Or, when, or when the tank's going to be empty. I mean, can you imagine if we didn't have the fuel gauge on our, on our cars mm. and we just mm. had to just guess when, yeah. when we needed to fill up? It's, you know, that's, that's sort of what we... Well, most of, our, most of our houses, it would, it would be akin to not even having a, speed, a speedometer because we don't have central heating, so we don't have thermostats. So the um. 95% <laughs> of New Zealand households would have no idea what even temperature uh, their house is, let alone the humidity and, and the cleanliness of the air and all that sort of stuff. So, Which always just kind of boggles my mind that we – we're, we're the same in California that yeah. we would – particularly given – But you're the, the, home of, uh, the home of the nest. Isn't this where all this great technologies <laughs> come from? Well, people want something else to tell their house how to be managed. Right. And, you know, um, Lloyd Alter's written a particularly great blog post that – you know, the nest would be bored stupid in a passive house. <laughs> wouldn't, have any, wouldn't have anything to do. <laughs> That's very true. Yes, Lloyd. Uh, we've had Lloyd on the show. Um, hey, um, we're going to have to wrap up, uh, bro. We could obviously carry on. We'll, we'll have to get you back on the show because uh, there's so many more questions I've got regarding um, retrofits and some of the other um, work that you've been involved in. Um, we'll probably open up a can of worms with just the monitoring as well. Where yep. can people find out more about you? Well, I'm at oneskyhomes.com is mm -hmm. our company website. Um, I think that would be, and I'm also on Twitter. So uh, I, You're great I'm on Twitter. Big fan of Twitter and I tweet a lot and, yeah. and a lot about specifically passive house and, and good design and, and high-performance buildings. So yep. my, pass, my Twitter handle is um, passivehousebb. Yep, very easy to remember. So if you want to know anything about what's going on in the world of Passive House, I definitely recommending follow uh, Passive House BB and that's a good way to connect with you as well. Thank you very much for your time, Bronwyn. Really appreciate it and we'll definitely have to get you back and, and um, talk about some of those other many, many topics of, of interest. Sure. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bronwyn Barry there from One Sky Homes. And as Bronwyn said, she's uh, very active on Twitter. You can follow her, and I definitely recommend it. Uh, Passive House BB is her Twitter handle. Also, you can go to oneskyhomes.com to have a look at her website for her company and connect with her there. If you want to check out any of the notes from this week, plus a lot more that we didn't get a chance to discuss, just head on over to homestylegreen.com forward slash 151. And uh, I've done a little summary. I've tried to challenge myself to pull out one key point from each of the presenters that I took notes from during the conference. There's just so much information there. Um, and there's some links there to the Passive House Conference webpage as well. Thank you very much for tuning in. Now go make a better place to live.